I don't know that there is a better song to have to preach to after that than it is well. I wish, I wish you guys could hear out there what we hear up here. It's just that the voices of God's people all singing out in wonderful praise to him. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. We are looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. Uh, if you want to find that in the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that in 1178. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. Whenever I first got here, um, I, I wasn't up here. I didn't play guitar for the service. Many of you remember I would actually sit down and uh, with my family during the music service. And, uh, you know, there was kind of an old tradition where the preacher and uh, uh, would sit up here and there was like a kind of a chair up here, kind of a throne, I called it. And, uh, the, uh, <laughs> and the preacher would sit there and he would wait for uh, his turn. And, and um, I've, always, I've always not liked that, number one, because I wanna sit with my family. But number two, because uh, many preachers who did that suffered from a condition that I like to refer to as gaposis. Gaposis is when you have a pair of dress slacks on and you are wearing dress shoes and dress socks and when you sit down, the legs of your pants come up and the bottom of your pants legs goes up higher than the top of your dress socks. And you end up, you guys get to see my hairy legs. <laughs> and so I refer to that as gaposis. And I did not want to be a sufferer of gaposis. So, um, so that's why I sat down there, because you guys don't need to see my white, shiny, hairy legs. But, you know, I think that there is a, a gap in the lives of many Christians, between what we declare and what we confess that we believe and the functional everyday living of our lives. In fact, in biblical counseling, I refer to your confessional worship, but then also your functional worship. Your confessional Lord, but your functional Lord. That, that yes, we confess our Lord as the number one as center of our lives, and yet when we live our lives and there are things in our life we're willing to sin for to get or we're willing to sin if we don't get, uh, that is what we refer to as our functional Lord. And this gap is between what we confess and how we live, and this has always been an issue, always been an issue in the Christian life, and by the way, it will always be an issue. Um, all the way back in uh, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he says, and Yahweh says, because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. We see there that difference between the confessional lordship of God and yet the functional lordship of something else. We see that John chapter 10, even Jesus acknowledges that there is an abundant life. He says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And the question is, is how do we take hold of that life that Christ offers? How do we take hold of that abundant life? Because there, I don't believe that Christ is only referring to eternal life after we die. Now, I think that that is the primary element. 
I think that the resurrection is our ultimate hope and life in the resurrection. But I do believe that even there, even now, we can have at least a taste, an already of the not yet, that is an abundance of faith and an abundance of joy in life that we can have even in this time before we meet him. And so in our church, in our three kind of uh, pillars that we build the ministry on, that you would know the faith, that you would live the faith, and that you would share the faith, uh, we are talking about living the faith this morning. We talked about knowing the faith last week. And so this morning, we're talking about living it. And this is a great text, and I, and I love how the NASB brings out some of the nuances of this text. And so I am reading from it this morning, the New American Standard, and in chapter four, verses six, beginning in verse six, Paul says to Timothy, and pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. But on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness, uh, excuse me, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you at through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul knew the dangers quite well of gaposis. He knew the dangers of this, of this gap that we have, this functional lordship versus our confessional lordship because in the verses leading up to this, verses one through five, he's warning Timothy that there are going to be in latter times people who, who give way to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons and they're gonna be led astray and into all kinds of, of weird ideas, forbidding food and forbidding marriage and and, and that kind of stuff. And so Paul encourages Timothy in verse six. He says, look, as you put out these things, as you point out these things, teach them to the family of God, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. That word servant in your text is actually the word diakonos. It is from the word we take deacon. It is a, it's kind of a general term that, that refers to one who ministers to others, one who serves others. 
And he says, in pointing out these things, a good minister, a good person who is serving others, that, that should be someone who, look what he says here, he says, that is constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine that you have been following. And so if we're going to live the faith, if we're going to uh, continue to live in the confession that we have, number one, we have to know it. And we talked about that last week, that, you know, for some reason, there's a popular kind of idea that it doesn't really matter what you know as long as you are living it faithfully. Well, beloved, you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong, and, and we don't want that for you. So yes, we are developing so that you will live the faith, so that you will know the faith. You will know what is in the scriptures, and we don't shy away even from the hard teachings, even from the deep teachings. We don't do that here because we want you to know the faith that is once delivered from all the saints, but that's not enough. We're not looking for you just to pass a test. Or to know it like trivia, we want you to know it in order that you may live it. And so that it'll be the springboard from which all of your life comes from. And in order to do that, you must be constantly nourished in it. And that's how we take hold of that life that Christ gives us, to be, to be nourished by the words and the sound teaching that he has given us. This is Christian maturity. This is hope. This is what we're talking about. This is how we develop our hope in the Christian life. And so that sounds great, but how do we do it? How do we do it? Thankfully, Paul is very practical here in this text. It's one of the reasons why I chose it. He says, have nothing to do with worldly fables or silly myths is really kind of the understanding of what he's saying there. Sorry, ladies. Fit only for old, you know, kind of old wives' tales, you know. Like, for example, how many, uh, how many people thought that if you go outside with wet hair this morning, you'll catch a cold? How many of you thought that? You know, cold is a virus, right? <laughs> so, so just those kind of speculative, kind of silly little things that we all believe, you know, but there's really nothing, nothing true behind it, you know. And so kinda, that's kind of what he's talking about there. He says, don't give rise, don't give attention to any of those things, but instead, he says in verse seven, really the, the pinnacle and the idea, the main thought of this passage is to train, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Paul commands us that we must discipline ourselves. We are not passive in this process. It's not a let go and let God kind of thing. That's one of the, one of the worst things that has ever been cast upon the church. We're not passive in this. In fact, the word here that he says, discipline and training, it's, it's the word that we get gymnasium from. It talks about, it's an athletic term. It's, there is effort on our part. It's not like justification that we are completely passive in the process. No, sanctification, we have a part to play. We have, uh, we have responsibilities that we must strive for. And so how does Paul develop this? He does it in a couple of different instructions that he's gonna give. We must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, but then also in the practice of godliness. 
So let's look at these two together, beginning in verse seven. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I, I, again, I like the nuance that the NASB brings out there. It's a good translation. I, I like it because I was trained in spiritual disciplines by Don Whitney at Southern Seminary. He wrote the book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And one of the things he says, he says that in order to start anything, in order to do anything, the first and more, most important thing you need to know is why you're doing it. That discipline without purpose is drudgery. And so if you don't know why you're doing something, then you're gonna get, dis, uh, you're gonna get discouraged very quickly in the doing it if you don't have that motivation behind it. And so Paul is giving us here the motivation for the purpose of godliness. He tells him in verse eight, he says, for bodily discipline, bodily training is of only a little profit, but, the, but godliness is profitable for all things. Now, I know I joke about this verse and I've, I've said before that, you know, bodily exercise profits little. I've, I made the joke, I think even last week that, you know, that verse is hanging up in my kitchen or or something like that, but um, you know, Paul's not discouraging physical exercise here. That, that's not his point. His point is not to say, okay, it's you know, we are going to be kind of Gnostics to where all we care about are the spiritual things, and we don't care about the physical things. That's not what he's doing here. What he is saying is saying, look, training, bodily training, gymnasto, exercise. It is good for the body, yes, but the body only goes so far. And that godliness is good. Godliness holds promise for both this life and the life that is coming. In other words, that everything that we do for the body is going to end up ultimately in the dirt. But everything we do for Christ, we take with us into eternity. And that is, that's the comparison here. What we do for Christ lasts forever. Second John, verse eight. John says essentially the same thing. He says, watch yourself so that you may not lose what we worked for, but may have a full reward. Now, don't misunderstand the rewards here. I've heard some well-meaning Christians sometimes and, and, and well-meaning Christians say that, you know, well, I don't really care about rewards. I just want to serve God. Beloved, you should care about rewards because they're not bragging rights. They're for the glory of Christ. That's why we should care about rewards. In fact, the Bible uses the imagery of crowns and that all of these crowns are going to be laid down at the feet of Christ. And that's the purpose of the rewards. They are for his glory. And so a, a Christian who is concerned about living, about wanting to serve Christ should be concerned about heavenly rewards because they are for his glory, not for yours. Do you see that? And so, and so what he's doing here, he's saying that in verse 10, he continues on to say, it is for this that we strive and we labor because we have fixed our hope. You see that connection to hope there? The connection to hope that we have. We strive and we labor because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, not just the Jews, not just 
not just the Gentiles, not just Americans, not just, he is the savior of all people, every people group, people from every tribe and tongue, nationality and race, uh, every color of human skin. Christ has come to save them all. And most particularly among those people, those who believe. And beloved, on that last day when we come into the church of heaven, the first church of New Jerusalem, and when we are praising God, there will be such a glorious diversity there. Not diversity like our culture has, has perverted it, but I, a diversity that every tribe and tongue, every nationality, every people, all peoples from all over the earth, every nation, as our friend Logan likes to say, Every nation will come and will worship God. Every tongue will confess. It will be a wonderful time. Beloved, this is the church. This is the church of the living God. And this is what our hope is fixed on. The living God. A few years ago, when I was teaching youth in Sunday school, we went through a book called This Changes Everything. And the book is about uh, how the gospel is written for teens and it's about how the gospel has a profound impact on everything that we do. It doesn't just change our eternal destiny, it changes everything, changes everything. With 1 John chapter three, verses two through three, John talks about this connection to hope in our lives. He says, beloved, we are God's children now. We don't know what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And look what he goes on to say. This has a profound impact on our lives. Why? Because everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as Christ is pure. When we're talking about biblical hope, beloved, we're not talking about it in the sense of how the world talks about it. You know, I hope so-and-so. That's really referring to nothing more than a wish, nothing more than a wish dream. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope, you could define it as confidence or you could define it as confident expectation. In fact, sometimes it's even translated or parallel with confidence, that word for confidence. Beloved, our hope has a profound impact on how we live today. It has a profound impact on everything we do. Think about this, a man or a woman who is starting a business and hopes to be successful, how, do they, how hard do they work? They work very hard, don't they? In fact, if they're not careful, that business that they're starting in the dream of becoming successful, that dream there's, can become all-consuming. Why? Because they hope to be successful. Think about the young man or the young lady who wants to be a professional athlete when they grow up. What do they do? They spend hours in the batting cages. They watch sports on TV. It defines everything about them. It defines what's fun for them. That defines what's interesting for them. It defines what they want to do with their time. It defines how they spend their time. Think about the young man who wants to be a musician. 
And all he does all the time is want to practice on his instrument and work on his instrument and listen to music and, and kind of pick things out. And he's constantly thinking about how he can make those chords and how he can make those riffs work. In other words, your hope for the future has a profound impact on how you live today. And in the same way, beloved, when we set our hope on the living Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, ascended, and coming again, when our hope is set on that, it will have a profound impact on everything we do in this life. And that is our hope. And that's why we define hope as living our faith. Living the faith. Do you want to be godly? And we must exercise ourselves. We must discipline ourselves. Just like the ancient Greeks, we live in a culture that is obsessed with the human body. Go and look in all those sculptures, beautiful sculptures nonetheless, but they're obsessed with the outward appearance. Beloved, God does not look at the outward appearance. He does not see as man sees. But God looks at the heart. Let me ask you this, how much time do you spend every day preparing your appearance for the day? How does that compare to the time you spend being spiritually prepared for the day? What's the comparison? Listen, scriptures say it's, scriptures doesn't say, never says that it's wrong to exercise or adorn ourselves. Doesn't say that at all but it does challenge us to consider which is more important and consider how we respond. And so what does this look like? The first few verses address the motivation for godliness, the purpose of godliness, but, but the question is practically, what does this look like? And, and that's what Paul's gonna get into in the rest of the verses. And, and uh, in verses 11 through 16, he tells us to discipline ourselves, not just for the purpose of godliness, but in the practices of godliness as well. So verses six through 10 focus on the motivation, the promise of godliness. But the question is, how do we do it? And beloved, I just wanna tell you up front, there is no secret formula. There, there is no magic pill. There, there is no recently discovered secret that somebody has found and they can give it to you if you're willing to pay $19.95 for their new book. In fact, I would dare say that good rule of thumb is that if some teacher comes in proclaiming that they have found the secret to this or that, beware of those people. Because there is no secret. There's, it's, there, there is no secret. There's no magic pill. There's no shortcut. And Paul's gonna explain that to us. He's gonna follow up what he has just said with some very, with basically a, a list of, of very practical instructions that he's giving to Timothy as a pastor and so first and foremost, these need to be applied to myself, need to be applied. Those of you uh, who are interested in ministry, going to school for ministry, Logan, uh, Aaron, uh, uh, Wesley, these need to be, you need to be paying a special attention to these things. And yet in the same way, the reason why we pay special attention is so that we can be examples of them to the rest of us, Right? So it's not a dual standard here. It's the same standard. 
And so uh, Timothy's goal is to be an example of these things so that he can pass them along to all of those who hear him. And so that's what we find here. And they're very practical, and and I've kind of summarized them in three ways. Devoted in your personal walk, devoted to the church, and devoted to ministry. So let's look at all three. Number one, in verse 12, he says, look, let no one look down on your youthfulness. I want you to see that, that you must be devoted to your personal walk. He tells Timothy, look, your age doesn't matter. We don't, we don't know how old Timothy was here. Uh, we can guesstimate. He might've been in his 30s. He might've been maybe late 20s at the absolute youngest. Uh, I'm thinking he was probably around maybe late 30s, early 40s maybe. But, but we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that age doesn't matter. What matters is the authenticity in which Timothy is living in his personal walk before God. That's what matters. And so he is, he's telling him, be devoted in your personal walk. And look at, he just, he just uh, machine gun fires uh, several aspects of his life here. And just one right after another. He says, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to the others. To believers in speech, the words that come out of our mouth, so often reflective of what's actually going on in our hearts. Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, he says, let your speech constantly be seasoned with salt. Always be gracious so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, there's a way that you can approach someone that what you're saying might be right, but your approach is totally wrong. Don't you just love people like that? <laughs> boy, boy, you just love them, don't you? And Paul's telling us, look, our speech is usually the first thing that people notice about us. It's often the very first thing. If the, always let it be seasoned, let it be gracious. What is the old song from, uh, is it, uh, it's not gone with the wind. It's, uh, it's one of those though. Uh, singing, no, not singing in the rain. The Von Trapp family, who, uh, sound of music. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. You pay me to preach the Bible, okay? So, <laughs> so not preach classic movies, so, uh, so Mary Poppins, <laughs> spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. In conduct, let's just get off the speech thing. Uh, in conduct, how he lives, how he walks about his life, how he conducts himself among people. How does he interact in business? How does he interact with other people? How does, how does he present himself to the world and love. We're gonna talk about love next week, the sharing of faith. Love is the outworking of faith toward others. It's the outworking of faith toward others. In fact, you know, our hope 
for the future not only has a profound impact everything in our lives, but it actually has a profound impact on how we treat others. You ever notice that? One of the things I like to tell guys, and I'll use John as an example, one of the things I like to tell uh, really the church is that, look, my hope is not, is not in you. My hope is for you. You see, because if my hope is in John and then John disappoints me, there's nowhere to go from that. Our relationship is damaged. It's beyond repair. But if my hope is not in John, if my hope is for John, if my confidence is in Christ for John and he offends me, guess what? No big deal. We grow from it. We learn from it. We move on. And nine times out of 10, our relationship is stronger not in spite of it, because of it, right? And so how we, how we love one another, our hope for the future has a profound impact even in how we treat other people, how we treat our kids, how we treat those strangers. Not so much telemarketers, but no, even them too, we, we can't, we can't, include that. He says, in faith, being mature in the faith. In other words, holding to the faith with a clean conscience. Holding to faith with a clean conscience. You know, there is no pillow as soft as a clean conscience. There is no pillow as soft as holding the faith in clean conscience. Purity, freedom from sin, yes, but purity is often that single purposeness, that having a sing singularity of purpose in our lives. That we're not trying to get the best of both worlds. We're not trying to live with one foot in heaven and one foot in hell, but we are singular. We are focused on living for Christ and glorifying him. James talks about the duplicious person, the the one who is double-minded and he is unstable in all of his ways. And so that singular purpose, devoted to personal walk, but also devoted to the church. Devoted to the church. And this one's not as popular today as, as some other things. Everybody is so obsessed with personal spirituality, personal growth, personal um, self-help, all of those things. But beloved, understand that in God's plan, his plan is so that you will be made holy, yes, but you will be made holy in the context of community. And he has fashioned the covenant community in order to encourage and spur on one another to holiness. And you can't do that without the church. You cannot do that by yourself. God has given us others in order that he, we will hear from God and see who we really are. Oftentimes things that we don't notice in ourselves. I like to say often that I had all the fruits of the spirit before I got married. And then I got married and I realized I was not as mature as I thought I was. And, and then right when I thought I was getting that down, then I started having kids. And all the fruit of the Spirit went out the window at that point. I mean, I realized how, how much of a pagan I really am. God uses community to fashion our holiness. 
And the church is the ordained community that he has given in order to make us like Christ. In order to help us grow, we've got to be devoted to it. We've got to be devoted to it. And but beloved, it's not just about church attendance. I'm not talking about just filling a pew. I'm talking about community life, being involved with one another. And so how does this come out? He says, first of all, devoted to the worship of the church. Look what he says. He says here, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Where does that happen? It happens in the church. Why do we have public reading of scripture? Why, why do we preach? Why do we teach in Sunday school and small groups and all that? Because that is the means that the church uses to teach you what it means to be like Christ. They are the public means of grace. Now, of course, in Timothy's case, this is what he is to do, but it applies to the hearers as well. Because ultimately, if Timothy is to do this, it means that those under his charge need to be there. And they need to hear it. I remember when I was a youth minister, uh, there was a young lady that she wasn't there for a few weeks, wasn't it Wednesday night or on Sunday and whatever. And so I, I uh, tried to call her and, and she, she didn't answer. Um, and so I, I called her mom and talked to her. Her mom didn't come to our church. We, we picked her up on the van. And, uh, and she said, well, you know, uh, um, she, uh, she disrespected me. She disobeyed me. And so I grounded her from church. And I said, really? She said, yeah. And, you know, church is just the only thing I have that means so much to her that if I take it away, it actually punishes her. And okay, okay. And you know what? As a, as a parent of young children, listen, I understand that. I get that. I said, you are her mother, and I respect your decision. I said, but let me ask you a question. Has it occurred to you that you punished her for disobeying you and disrespecting you? You have, for her punishment, you've cut her off from the only institution on earth that's teaching her to respect you and obey you. Do you realize you've done that? Do you realize that you've cut her off from the very institution that's telling her to respect you? Just something to think about. Something to think about. You've got to be devoted to the worship of the church, but devoted to serving the church. Look what he goes on in verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands of the elders. Listen, don't, don't neglect the spiritual gift that you've been given. God has given all of us gifts and mostly, usually most of the time, kind of a, a mixture of gifts that, that we are to use in our ministry toward one another. And the church is really the training ground in which we discover those gifts. The church is the place where we, we come and we develop those gifts. We, we use those gifts. We, we practice those gifts. And then we learn how to take those gifts into the world and use them for the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom. That happens in the church. The church is a training ground. The world is the mission. And can you imagine sending soldiers out to war without having them go through boot camp first? We wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a lot of chance, would we? You guys in the military, aren't you glad you went through boot camp first? 
No, not really. I, I get that. <laughs> but that's what gave you the skills to make it out in the war. And beloved, we are in spiritual warfare. And in order to have the skills to fight those battles, you need to be devoted to the church that teaches you how to do it. Teaches you how to do it. Not, again, not just attendance, small group, Sunday school, whatever, whatever modalities our church uses. And we're not saying devote yourself to all of them. Nobody can do that. But we offer a, we offer a um, kind of a, a buffet. We offer a, a bunch of them because there's gonna be one or two that you will connect with. And that's what we want you to do. And so devoted to serving the church. Do not neglect your spiritual gift and use it. Devoted to the community of the church. Look what he says in verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Why? So that your progress may be evident to all. So that all will see your growth. So that all will see your maturity. So that all will see that you are developing, you are growing in the faith. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus tells us to not practice our godliness before other people. He's talking about motivations there. But beloved, the, the scriptures never discourage us from living out our, our faith in a way that is examples to others. In fact, I promise you, there is no greater encouragement to the church than to see someone growing in their faith, to see someone maturing. And one of the best ways you can serve our church is simply just to grow in your faith. That's why, that's why John says in 1 John, this is how we know we love the brothers, that we obey his commands. The best way we can love one another is to obey Christ and to live for him. There is no greater encouragement. John, John tells, and third John, he tells that church that I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And what, what, a, what an incredible truth that is. Those of us guys who have been pastors before, Art, Stephan, can you testify to any greater joy that a pastor has than to see his people growing in their faith? You wanna give your pastor and pastor appreciation gift? That's it. Complete my joy by being one, by being unified. And the way we do that is by all growing together in the faith of Jesus Christ. Don't neglect your gift. Be devoted to the community of the church. And, but there's also, in light of that, be devoted to ministry. In verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. I admit, I uh, actually had a different text I was gonna talk about living the faith from this week, and, and when we read that verse last week, it kind of called my attention away from it to, to this one. Because again, in all the church growth seminars I've ever, ever been to, this verse never comes up. It's, it's one of the only verses in the Bible that actually talks about growing the church and it never comes up in, in church growth seminars. Why? 
because this isn't a quick fix. This is not a quick marketing scheme. Ministry is messy. In fact, one of the things I like to say, if it's not messy, it's probably not ministry. Ministry is messy. So Paul says, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. Persevere, immerse yourself in these things. And as you do, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. It doesn't mean that he's saving himself, but it means that he is confident that what he is sharing with others, what he is uh, giving to others are the message, is the words that will lead them to a true knowledge of Christ, both in his own heart and in the heart of those who hear. Now, obviously, this is primarily to Timothy as pastor, obviously. But beloved, all of us in this building have ministry. All of us in this building have ministry in one way or another. All of us have people who hear us, who watch us, and who are waiting for us. Parents, most especially, our children. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching so that you will ensure salvation, not just for yourself, but for your children. Grandparents, as your, as your influence over your children become less authoritative and more influential, and then you start to establish that relationship with your grandchildren, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching that you give them. Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, just the advice that you give to friends. And by the way, teenagers, don't think that you are exempt from this because I promise you, the little kids in this room are watching you. I promise you. Don't think, don't let anyone look down on your youth. They're, our children are watching you. They're not watching us, we're old fogies. They're watching you because you're cool. Pay close attention to yourself, teens. And to the teaching, what example are you giving them? What are you showing them? Beloved, all of us have friends and influences that are either leading us toward Christ or are leading us away from Christ. And the question we've got to ask is, which one are we? In fact, unfortunately, it's a, it's a sad commentary. But there's often two kinds of churches. There are churches that will lead you away from Christ, either through legalism through, um, through just outright conflict and, and just all kinds of things that are leading you away from Christ and false teaching and, and all kinds of things like that, or you're gonna be in a church that's gonna lead you closer to Christ. In Calvary Baptist Church, which one are we? Which one are we? And so I will admit there's mystery here. There is mystery because we don't make ourselves holy. We can't do that. God makes us holy, but he does so through the means that he has given us to participate in. That's why I like that term, means of grace, because these are his appointed means that he has given us to develop our Christ-likeness. Things like the word, things like prayer, 
Things like meditation in the word. Things like fellowship. Things like the ordinances or the sacraments, whatever term you prefer. Things like the worship. Things like singing. Sharing testimony. All of those things, the friendships that we develop. Serving one another. All of those things are means that God has appointed to make us more like Christ. But if we don't avail ourselves to them regularly, then how in the world can we expect to be like Christ? How can, it, how can we expect to grow? There is mystery here. I fully admit, I don't understand the connection. It's the same thing with God's sovereignty and our responsibility. I don't get how it comes together. Scriptures don't explain that. That's in the mind of God and I trust him. And in the same way, how God makes us holy and yet we pursue holiness. There is sovereignty, there is grace, and there is also responsibility. I don't, I don't understand it, but I do know that this is how God has ordained it. And the best thing I can do is give an example, and I've given you this example before, but when I was a kid, my grandfather did everything he could to turn me into a country boy. And I just never took. And, and one of the things he would do was take me to this awful lake between Stuttgart and Pine Bluff. And I've told you about this place, but, but it, was, it was too, there was too many cypress trees coming up out of the water and too many souls of dead men floating in the water. And so, uh, so uh, we would, uh, he would get on the boat and he would just push us offshore and he would have a rope in the boat and it was tied to a tree on the shore. And after what seemed like forever to me, he would finally say, okay, Randy, pull us in. And so I would grab the rope and I would begin to pull us to the shore. Now, look, there is real effort involved. I would get sweaty. I, would, I was extracting my muscles. There's real effort involved, but what's actually pulling us in? The tree. And beloved, holiness is the same way where yes, there is real effort involved. There is toil and perseverance involved. But who's really making us holy? The anchor of our soul. God is. Christ, through the workings of his Holy Spirit, is making us holy. So yes, there is effort. There is responsibility on our, on our side. But ultimately, those are the means by which God uses to give us his grace. Avail yourselves to them. Make them a priority this year so that we can live the faith in our lives. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the time that you have given us this morning. And I pray as we come to this time of reflection, to response, I ask, Lord, that you will give us hearts to understand, minds to comprehend. You will give us ears to hear eyes to see the wonderful things that you have for us in holiness. One of the biggest lies that the enemy tells us is that in order to be happy and joyful, we have to forsake holiness. But no, you know that holiness is true joy. Holiness is what you require of us all. And so, Father, this year, as we begin 2024 and we're taking another look at these three pillars of our church ministry that we build on, Lord, may we develop the hope of our people 
so that they will live out in light of what they confess. And if there's one here this morning that is not in Christ, one who has not submitted to his lordship and confessed his sins and placed his total faith in Christ alone for salvation. Lord, I pray this morning they would come forward and they would ask how they can be saved so that they can begin this life. Lord, we ask all of this to your glory and our eternal good. Let's all stand together. And if you have a need this morning, I invite you to come. If you wanna be prayed for, if you wanna know how you can know Christ, I invite you forward. Maybe you've received the word in times past, but you want to confess that in baptism. We invite you to come forward at this time. Or maybe you wanna join the church. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come.